April 28, 2021. It's a lot from
Bob for Pedro Show. Happy Wednesday, last Wednesday of the month. All right, I'm going to say bye-bye to April 2021. Start off the show, John Coltrane doing Transition. Getting ready for May Day. And then Alec K. Redfern. Redfern? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Ha, people, you can tell <laughs> that I'm not totally man alone. Yes, Brother Matt is at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point because still quite in quarantine mode, but I'm not totally man alone because of those Skype engineers in Estonia with their software invention. <laughs> I got Brother Alec K. Redfern. Redfern. Let me get that. You deserve respect. Redfern, right. All the way from Providence. Welcome aboard, Alec. Good to be here, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, I, you know, Providence, I've had buttloads of fucking good gigs there. I've always dug. Going back to the uh, the living room. West oh, yeah. and his mother, they'd make you uh, fried chicken, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Minuteman had some great gigs there. And I think he was killed on a bicycle or something. Very tragic. It was near a Samsonite, a suitcase factory downtown. That anyway, sounds right. Okay. Yeah. But enough about Watt's story. I want to get into your fucking journey through music, Alec. Please bring your earliest musical recollection. Earliest musical recollection. Uh, I guess the my earliest musical recollection was finding a 7-inch uh, when I was probably like, I was going to the barber shop with my dad, and, my, and uh, I just found like a 7-inch uh, single of uh, Dreamweaver by uh, Gary Wright. and uh, I got to tell you, he lived up the <laughs> hill here in Palos Verdes for a little while. Oh, yeah? And I oh. saw him open up, I think so. Somebody told me that anyway. Maybe it was Patrick Moraz. They both had poodle haircuts. But I saw him open for Slade in 10 years after. He had nothing but synthesizers. Him and two other guys played synthesizers. I believe it. I believe it, man. But yeah, that record was, uh, I got it. And, uh, you know, before I even heard it, I, I was talking to everyone at the barbershop about what the B-side sounded like, you know, and I because I, it was a song called Let It Out. I don't actually remember what that song sounds like, but I thought it was going to be like the most rocking thing ever because of the title. I was like, the, I said, well, I know the first song, the first side's kind of mellow, but this this is just going to be, you know, incredible. And it was, you know, it was more mellow than I was expecting, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's your earliest Remember, it's a Watt for Pedro show There's no hard questions and there's no wrong answers And you got a fucking cup there or something Because you keep banging it on the fucking table get, I do, I have, I have a cup get of a coffee coaster, put it over here. Get a coaster or a book or some shit Because that <laughs> gets fucking irritating <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I got another table over All right, here Alright, that's okay Alec, in the pad, you, you grew up in Providence? I grew up in Mansfield, Massachusetts ah, Which is about you know, like 20, yeah, 20 minutes north A little north Now, everything's a little <laughs> way, <laughs> way Because uh, people, Rhode Island's a smaller state But not in heart, <laughs> not in heart Now, uh, in this pad you grew up West, West, is it in the middle of Mass or West? No, it's sort of like, it's southeastern Mass, so it's not far from... Oh, yeah, it's sort of yeah, like, yeah, I know, I know where it is. Yeah, they get the sign with the turkey on it when you cross the border. Yes, that, there is that. There's a, there's a, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> now, in that pad you grew up in, was there musical instruments? There was a piano in the basement. Uh, my father had painted it gray with house paint, though. And it, it came with a house. Uh, my parents weren't very musical, but uh, I would mess around on the piano a lot. And then eventually I ended up just destroying it with hammers later when I became a frustrated teenager. And it was already so broken down. Um, so then I became fascinated with the piano guts and playing the piano guts after that. Uh, but you never had to take uh, some, for a lot of people, guests on my show, the ordeal of piano lessons. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't take piano lessons until my 30s, and I only took a little bit. Oh, by, uh, by 30s, it's a little, maybe you're a little more on equal footing with the fucking teacher. It seems the teacher is usually the problem. Indeed, indeed. And it was funny because I did take guitar lessons very briefly when I was like 11 or 12. Okay, how did that happen? Why, why did that? How? What was the situation? There? Well, I was starting to get interested in rock and roll. You know, like I, I had, uh, you know, I, had, I was, you know, had come come up through like Kiss. You know, that was sort of a, for people my age, that was a, a oh, yeah. particularly... We we saw them like four times before they had an album. They would open up for anybody. We saw them with the nitty gritty dirt band with fucking oh, wow. uh, Wishbone Ash, Safway Brown, and shit. Yeah, they'd open up for anybody. And I remember when the first album came out, it was so fucking slow. Right. Yeah. Oh, compared to the live set, you mean? Yeah, well, that's all we knew. Right, it was these gigs. One time they broadcasted it over the radio, so we actually taped, you know, a cassette player next to the speaker, and you just taped it <laughs> all hissed out and shit, but. While you're doing work, it'd be fun to hear. Uh, okay, okay. So, yeah, rock and roll and uh, arena rock shit. And, okay, um, what about at school? Did, were you in the choir or the marching band or shit like that? No, you know, like, I didn't really start formally playing. Well, okay, I, I mean, I started, I had a band, but I didn't really learn to play music until I was about 16. And uh, my parents sort of always had the, like, I was always interested in music, but they're, they kind of had it in their, they were kind of old school, and they had it in their heads that, like, you have to start really young if you're going to be a musician. That was just, like, kind of the riff. They said, like, you know, they, they had friends whose kids were musicians, and they started them super young. So they were just thinking, oh, it's too late. And I, and I was like, no, it's not too late. Yeah, that's... That sounds uh, <laughs> like the fucking Mozart trip, where his daddy, like, kind of, it's kind of the Disney mom thing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or what, what they do with the K-pop, right? You get them in the dormitory when they're five. <laughs> right. Start raising them. Sometimes, they, but a lot of times, they just turn into fucking puppets. And they have terrible personal life, right? They kill themselves. No, Joe Biza, Saccharine Trust, guitarist, right? He starts yep. playing guitar because of the movement, inspired. 27 years old. And in a couple yeah. of years, he's transcribing Charlie Parker solos. So I don't he's believe a, in that. N nothing against your parents, but it was probably they were going by some uh, kind of conventional shit. And I won't even blame them. Right. It was some kind of, it was, I think it was sort of just, you know, they came up. It's funny. My dad's father, who I never met, he died before I was born, uh, used to play, um, used to play guitar a little bit and, and uh, would sing like Cole Porter songs around the house when he was drunk. And, uh, and, you know, so I, I kind of feel like they sort of, my father had maybe, I don't know if he had negative associations. My father always liked music. Uh, I mean, it was always like church music stuff. He was, you know, very devout Catholic. And, uh, but he also liked, my parents liked John Denver and Neil Diamond and the Carpenters and stuff like that. All of which, you know, I've come to appreciate as an older person, but wasn't too into as a kid, you know. Uh, but, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. What were we well, talking about? We were talking about your pop having kind of a negative view towards music. Now, my pop, the thing was, how are you going to make a living, boy? You can piss in the winds only so long. So exactly. So him out when he found out, you know, I started sending postcards from tour. Especially right. after D. Boone got killed. He didn't know, know I was doing this for a living. <laughs> so you you told me you you got you started a fucking band before you knew how to play. Yeah, Tell yeah. Me about it, it was, that. It was me and my bitch. my friend Tom. We were called Classic Migraine. We started about 1984. I was about 14. Uh, and uh, we wanted to be a heavy metal band, but we did not really have any musical ability whatsoever. And we didn't have electric guitars. We had two acoustic guitars and one of those little Casio keyboards. And uh, we would just bang and scream and write these and improvise these ridiculous songs about the devil and, you know, like stuff that was happening around our school and, uh, you know, horror movies and stuff like that. And, and uh, 
eventually, like over the course of that band, you know, Tom actually got an electric guitar. I started learning how to play and uh, I played a little bit of bass. I was starting to play bass. That was really my first like serious instrument. What, what, what and, kind of bass? I'm a little prejudiced here. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. What, what, what was your first bass? Uh, what was my, my first bass was a Fender, uh, what is it, like short scale Fender Stang. Music Master? Stang. Or our Music Master. Yeah. They had two models. What they called yeah. in those days. Student models. Stu- right. Right. <laughs> Marketing. Right. Like when you said metal, I'm thinking genre another marketing tool absolutely but, yeah because now we're grown up right music is music fuck that shit so exactly. so you, you, did, did uh classic migraine ever do a gig we played one show we, re- we released 18 cassettes but we played one show <laughs> tell me about that show <laughs> it was great it was just at a friend's garage you know it was a handful of most of the people we cleared most of the audience out yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Billy, Billy and the Descendants call those hall rakers. I mean, even called hall them that. Yeah, hall, like you just clear the house. Yeah. <laughs> I have been in many a hall raker over the years. Definitely. <laughs> Look, I want to play uh, Tramadolidae. Oh, yeah, Tramadolidae. Tramadolidae, yeah. My yeah. pronunciation, sorry. Uh,
Lancelot. Fuck!
verkeerde aanraking, een verkeerde beweging, een verkeerde vorm van oogcontact. Eigenlijk wat dan ook. Als er maar een fucking excuus is om helemaal los te gaan. Weet je, ik ben meer dan een beetje geïrriteerd. Ik heb zekere reden, maar die weet ik niet meer. Ik ging over iets wat je zei, ook al was het niet eens verkeerd, toch? Iets is gezaaid, passioneel, beredeneerd, wederom bewezen. Het is niet een enkele keer. Het blijft niet bij een incident, zeer geïrriteerd. Blijkbaar, ontwikkeling is vatbaar, verklaard. De draakenvaders buffen, de vloer wordt lava. Laat me onbedaardbaar, raak me niet aan. Je hele fucking houden netjes, sta me niet aan. Ik sta hier naast een gezicht op elkaar. Waarom niet gaan, schudden je mij, Amelia? Doe het niet, man. Ik sta er dit bij de rand. vrij rollen en rammen was er vroeger beter nee ik denk dat het de bitterheid is in de realiteit in gewijd zeg gedag tegen naïeve blije shit uit je kindertijd de zeiken winter in een strijd je kent de kloppen van de zet je houdt de rekening mee ineens een stoot zich niet tweemaal in dezelfde steen als de scheid de ventilator bereikt het regen negativiteit dan doet je gewoon gezellig mee Onvredige gift in mijn DNA, de scène, ja, meditatie later nog. Onbekwaam, vloeken, tieren en razen, de voornaamste redenen van mijn bestaan. Problemen, dat schop ik tegenaan. Doe me niet boos, ik sta er dicht bij de rand. Doe me niet boos, ik sta er dicht bij de rand. Doe me niet boos, ik sta er dicht bij de rand. Ik doe mijn uitste best om mijn hoofd niet te verliezen. Ik doe mijn uitste best om mijn hoofd niet te verliezen. 
today They just roll down under the entrance door So the penguins, they took off today Don't wanna live in a cage no more One by one, they all just left the ground One by one, got tired of being a public hound Cause they all have heard some breaking news That the wings on their bodies were meant to be used And they
Watch for Pedro Show. Yeah, Tramadolidae. Maybe I got it right this time. That's Alec K. Redford and the Eyesores. Germs after that. Lexicon Devil Live. Live Germs. Great band. Big influence on Minutemen. Obama's Prendon after that from D.C. area. Stalked by Crows. Still uh, kicking like Cato. Juan van de Dag out of uh, Groningen in the Netherlands with... <laughs> Ooh, this is kind of tough. Betje Gerichtherd. So I destroy another language. Sorry. It's a Dutch one. It's your turn. <laughs> Penguins from Water Boogie System. And trudge, trudge into the rhythm of the Pleistocene from to, uh, Tommy Dahill up in Alaska. And finally, Alec K. Redfern and Osors. There's a bat living in my room. So that gig was a success, but and, and 18, 18 cassettes. We made eighteen cassettes. I don't know where any of them are, but they 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 did exist at one point. My my friend Tom might still have a few copies. He had like all the masters. Now, know. what about how many tunes a cassette was there? Usually, like you know, between like six and eleven, depending on how short the pieces were. Okay, so you're talking like way over a hundred tunes. <laughs> Yeah, it might be, actually. And, and, and the originals, right? You ain't doing, uh, trying to copy off records. Oh, no, we couldn't. We couldn't. We, we didn't We didn't even have the skills for that. You okay, know, so we, what, what, what evolves from classic migraine? Well, it's interesting. Like, from there, I started, uh, you know, I, like, wanted to get serious about playing bass. And, uh, you know, like, like, somewhere in the middle of classic migraine, I discovered punk rock. Uh, you know, I think part of that was in service to the band, I was like, well, we can't, we don't have like, you know, we might, we can't really pull off metal, but we might be able to pull off some punk rock. So I wanted to listen to some punk rock and I bought Nevermind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols and Damaged by Black Flag. And this was like 85, 86. Uh, you know, so when I listened to Nevermind the Bollocks, it sounded, I was expecting it to be more shocking or something, it just sounded like rock and roll to me. It was good. I liked it, but it just—it seemed like more like sort of New York Dolls just, with the English accent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then I listened to Damaged, and that was damn. That was like, a it was like where you've been all my life, you know. And uh, yeah, there's a song on there. Uh, well, there's two damages, right? And that's, right. That second. Well, both of them are intense. But the first one, I can give you some insight how it was recorded. And oh yeah. Hank, well, the singing anyway. Hank turned off all the lights. He taped a SM57 mic to each side of his temples. So there's two of them. And just ran around the room with the lights <laughs> all banging into the bulkheads and shit while he was singing it. Is that the slow one or the fast one? Yeah, the slow one. You're with Henry the... now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that stuff is so great, man. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that. I mean, and, and Spot produced it, and it's just beautiful. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. And that's a two-guitar lineup, yeah, too. Yeah, Dezo. Dezo's on the other guitar. He had moved from singing to bring Chuck one and Hank in as a singer. Right, right. Oh, man, good stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the version that... And Billy Stevenson, because Robo couldn't tour, so Billy Stevenson from Descends came on the drums. And that's that, when he joined. That's uh, well, we, he, he has a little tenure there, I think up to uh, in my head, and then mm -hmm. uh, 
Minutemen, first time we go overseas and we do, uh, it's also part of a big U.S. tour. We're all 10 of us in one van mm-hmm. at that period. So, that good. But enough about what, about you. Okay, so you, you, <laughs> you really dig the damage record. So it has an effect on you. It does. It it's it shatters my entire world. It was like I was on a school vacation and uh you know, I was going to Catholic school at the time, so we had to wear uniforms, but uh I left, you know, this sort of like dorky bull haircut metal haired kid and uh you know, like young stupid kid and then came back two weeks later with spiked hair and a leather jacket, <laughs> but you know, like this, whatever leather jacket I had lying around that I just wrote shit on and stuff like that. You know, it was all very, you know, it was all, it wasn't like, you know, I went out shopping or anything like that. I just said, I'm going to commit to this because this is, this is, there's something happening here. And, uh, and it was the thing that really set everything in motion. It all started from like rise above <laughs> the needle drop on rise above. Yeah. Everything just unfurled from there. My entire life really. Yeah, keep me alive. That's damage two. And I think That's damage right. one is the slow one. But maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. It was a little, bit, was a little bit ago. So, uh, well, fuck, the first thing I know of you is the eyesores, but there must have been something in between, right? Yes, there was a couple other projects. Uh, after, like, Classic Migraine, you know, like, Tom and I, uh, we still hung out a lot, but we kind of, you know, as I got more into the punk rock thing, and he was kind of just making more friends at school, because like, we were, like, really our only, we the two of us were really our only friends at the time, and I, I met my my friend Don, who's, like, uh, who was uh, a guitar player. Initially, we asked him to join Classic Migraine, and then he showed up, like, expecting us to be a real band, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are a real band, 18 fucking cassettes. Right. And, uh, you know, so he could actually play a little bit. He's a pretty decent, uh, you know, this very natural musician. And, you know, so we wanted to do some, like, heavy metal shit. We wanted to do some of that new speed metal shit that was happening, right? You know, like, uh, like you know, like Venom or Slayer or that kind of stuff. Um, and this would be – this is sort of pre, pre the damage discovery, you know. Uh, but – you know, I gave Don a copy of our cassettes and uh, didn't really expect to hear from him again. But I guess he like just listened to the cassettes that we gave him over and over again, just laughing and laughing and thinking he just thought it was so funny. Uh, and we just kind of stayed in touch. And then um, he was my sort of punk rock buddy. He was like, you know, we would go to shows together. You know, we we became, you know, our, the the sort of like stuff with girls, like all the teenage crises and stuff. He was there. He was he was like my my partner in crime, really. And uh, so, you know, eventually I picked up a bass and started learning uh, to play. Uh, you know, one summer I sat down with some Mel Bay books uh, and just really, like, dug in. And, uh, you know, I just got enough, like, an understanding of how, you know, like, how to how to uh, arpeggiate chords and stuff like that. You know, just the, and, uh, oh, just that's, standard yeah, bass. Yeah, but that's not standard. Most guys learn bass by learning licks. This right. This is what you're talking about is the Carol K thing where you actually – get inside the chords and arpeggiate them yeah yeah and it was it was good it was uh you know so like once i got to the point where well, I you, like, you were talking about your parents and uh mm-hmm. neil diamond and all that she's on all those fucking recordings that's right yeah she's on those yeah she's because she was like a wrecking crew adjunct right or was she a part yeah, of but she crew? said they never called themselves that you know there's a lot of drama with those it was it was uh <coughs> uh Who's the uh, Tommy Desco guitar? Uh, Hal Blaine on the drums. 
Earl oh, Palmer yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, crack guys. But anyway, go go on. You're you're teaching yourself bass. Yeah, and so like Don, Donna. Don and I had this job, uh, you know, we went to, we went to two different high schools. We started out at the same Catholic school, but then we both split back to, uh, split back to our like regular high school for the last year or two of high school. And, uh, but we, Don and I had this job and like a, a sort of third shift job on one night a week. Um, so we would go to school during the day and on Friday nights we would go insert flyers into the newspaper at the local newspaper and, you know, from, usually like lack of sleep would really make some really inspired, funny shit happen, you know. And it, uh, so like one morning we just, you know, I had my bass on me and we just started, uh, we, we even set like a little Casio drum machine up or something and just started jamming. And uh, eventually that formed into this trio called Laverne with this drummer, Art Tedeschi, uh, and my buddy Don Larson on guitar, me on bass. And, uh, and that was a very it was an instrumental band. We had a couple of songs with vocals, but it was mostly instrumental and it definitely had a strong SST vibe. <laughs> definitely. Cause we were obsessing with it. Like Don, you know, like Don and I were really obsessed with SST by this point. And, uh, you know, so like stuff like, like the Minutemen records, like the fire hose shit, like the, uh, black flag stuff. We saw saccharine trust, uh, like, you know, that like a pre in the previous summer. So like the, you know, and that was the We Became Snakes era. So, you know, they were doing that wild, That's, jazzy. That, that record is the one I produced. Oh, right. Radio Damn, Tokyo. Radio. I'll tell you one story. Very short. Yeah. I th there's a song about pain. Pain is real, Jack is saying. Yes. Pain is real. I can't remember the name of the song, but he did that vocal. I Maybe you heard about Hank doing his thing with the mics taped to his head. So he turns off all the fucking lights. You know, music's already done. It's just vocal. He gets on top of Ethan's piano, stand-up piano, and hits himself in the balls with the microphone and jumps off and uh, without catching himself, hits the deck with the face. <laughs> I, I couldn't really... <laughs> I'm just hearing the crunch. Yeah. So go on. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a, uh, what, what do you call that? Method acting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, so God, so like, you guys, yeah, you guys are feeling a big influence from the SST bands. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we, you know, we, we were, we were, we liked the, we liked the hardcore chopping the meat, you know, two, four madness, you know, like, like circle jerks and, you know, like that, all that sort of like classic, uh, you know, the, particularly the California shit that we liked the DC stuff too. And uh, some of the Midwestern bands like Detroitson and, um, but we kind of also like knew that, that we wanted more. We wanted like that, that this wasn't going to hold us. It wasn't going to hold our attention forever. We were too, both kind of expansive dudes, I think, at the time. And so then we just started, you know, we discovered like Meat Puppets and Minutemen and stuff like that through the SST catalogs that would come with the Black Flag records we bought. You know, like we'd, we'd read, we would obsessively read through all those catalogs and, uh, and like wonder about like the Raymond Pettibon artwork and like, what the hell does that mean? You know, like, uh, and then, uh, you know, stuff like Butthole Surfers and Swans and Sonic Youth and, and that stuff was starting to leak into our consciousness too. So we, the first band was pretty, you know, like Laverne ended up being a pretty eclectic thing. Uh, it only lasted about two years. We played some parties. Uh, we played, we opened for the, uh, oh, you know, that was the next band. We, we, we had like one show at ASU 20 in Providence. Um, eventually that band turned into another band called Wavering Shapes. And, 
Wavering Shapes, we had it. My buddy Bill Reed uh, was in it for a while, playing, singing and playing guitar. A uh, young guy named Matt McLaren, who I went to uh, high school with, and I, our moms were friends. Uh, he is the current Eyesource drummer. Uh, he started, uh, he joined in on second percussion, and um, one of our last gigs was opening for the Meat Puppets at the living room. And this would have been like around 88, 89 or so. Uh, yeah, and that, so that's what that was, you know, like that stage was also like that. Wearing Shapes and Laverne were kind of the same band, but with slightly different. Uh, I feel like by the time we got to Wavering Shapes, we wanted to get in, we were getting into jazz a little bit. We were getting into like, we listen to the doors a lot for some reason. Uh, that that sort of sound. There's something about the we wanted to get a little mellower, you know, like uh, or a little bit more like rainy, you know, lots of ride cymbals and shit. Um, but uh, eventually, we were hanging out at this place called ASU Twenty in Providence, which was like a little arts collective, and they had this house sort of absurdist performance art troupe called Meatballs Fluxus. And, uh, you know, I would go down, I, I started, it was basically interesting because it was this really crazy Fluxus Dada influenced performance art, uh, combined with like free improvisational music. So they would do like, these, they would do like music skit, music skit or something like that, you know, like, and, uh, eventually they asked me to, they, their bass player couldn't do a tour. So they, they asked me to, to do this tour. I was about 20 at this point, 1990. And uh, that was my first tour. Uh, so I had like, kind of left the other band to do this crazy performance art thing. Um, and I learned about hall raking really heavily during that <laughs> period. Yeah, well, there's also another name for those character builders. Yes. So you built a lot of character. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I've, I've, only, I've only had the experience of complete silence after finishing a set. Like, like not even just a room full of people just staring at you, you know, like that only happened once or twice. And it was all with that project. Okay. You know? So, so when do, when, fuck, we're, uh, we're running, we're out of time for the first hour, April 28, 2021 edition. Watt Peter show special guest, Alec K. Redfern. Hold tight for hour two. April 28, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
Live from Pedro Show. Started off the second hour with the opposite from Alec K. Redfern and Eyesores. And Ben Salter out of Tasmania with nowhere else. Just you yelled him. It's Brother Lucas out of Sydney. Two each hand. Joshua M. Robbins, Charleston. Good morning, you said. Uh, from the other Carolina, Dex Rom Weber duo, although I hear a bass, so maybe he plays some bass too. It's a cover of uh, so, uh, The Who, So Sad About Us. I love this tune. And Dex, he had a great band called Flat Duo Jets. Great cat. Oh, yeah. Lost his sister, uh, the drummer lady for uh, Let's Active. Uh, great. I got to play with, uh, yeah, they had a drummer man named Crow, right? Uh, flat Duo Jets. Uh, and, um, then Ghost Lanes from DUME. Uh, but before we get into learning about DUME, let's let's talk about the eyesores. So so you uh, educate yourself with uh, on the road with some vaudeville action with this uh, Fluxus inspired art troupe, performance troupe. Yep. Which is great, you know, because if you're going to learn how to work the room, why not? Absolutely. And uh, so tell us about the eyesore birth. Okay, well, so, you know, over the course of that, you know, like, while I was in that project, uh, I decided I wanted to learn an instrument uh, where I could uh, play melodies and stuff. And, you know, because everybody in the band played, like, horns. It was a lot of horn players. And, uh, you know, I've been in punk bands, and like, more in the punk scene. I I wasn't so used to the horns, so, like, I wanted to, I wanted something more exotic. So I I bought an accordion in a pawn shop, you know. And uh, started just kind of teaching myself how to play it and got and again, like I started another band uh, that I before I knew really how to play, <laughs> uh, you know, just to learn to play the accordion. I wrote, learned by writing songs on it, writing these little instrumental things. So the first project was called Space Heater. It evolved into a bigger project called Amoebic Ensemble over the course of the 90s. And then uh, I ended up kind of having a bit of a drug spin out in the mid nineties. Um, and when I came out of that, I started the eyesores in 1997, uh, because I wanted to do songs. And, uh, so like the first, you know, uh, I, my buddy, Matt, uh, Matt Everett was a, um, he played bazooki in the eyesores. He had just picked up a telecaster. So he was going to, so I had him play guitar. He wrote a couple songs in the first record, too and uh my buddy mark uh mark Bedini was playing like just found object percussion like you know like turned over chairs and shit like that and uh it's funny because our first gig was the reason why i started the band was uh i owed my friend west 75 bucks because i missed rent on uh, he, he was renting me this tiny windowless room to live in when i was all fucked up and uh you know i went to you know i ended up owing him some money uh and then going to rehab and then when I got a rehab, you know, he was like, uh, I'll squat, you know, you, I'll squash the debt if you do this gig. So that was the birth of the eyesores, uh, in 97. And, uh, I was playing accordion and singing by that point. Um, uh, singing was something that took a long time. <laughs> I feel like that's, that was the hardest for me. But, uh, I sort of started out like we wanted to be a songs band. We wanted to be not quite pop, but we wanted, uh, you know, I was listening to a lot of Johnny Cash and Nick Cave and stuff like that. And it's like, I wanted to write about my experiences and shit. And I, the first record is really kind of all about my sort of spin out, you know, like, and, uh, and so, 
but as each record progressed, it got uh, we started into a new sound. Um, and the original two guys dropped out uh, for various reasons. And my buddy Matt McLaren, my old friend from Mansfield, uh, joined on drums. Uh, my friend, uh, we had we had another band called the Barnacle Bird doing that. Uh, there was more of a free jazz thing, but I kind of pulled some people over to Barnacle for the new version of Eyesores around 2003. And uh, yeah, it's it's. It, we eventually ended up with the lineup we have now, which is me, Matt, uh, Anne playing French horn, and um, Chris Sadler's playing string John, bass. John Entwistle, French horn. Yeah. And in fact, that song, Pictures of Lily, has a fucking French horn solo in the middle of it. That's right. And I use that yeah. music to write my very own piss bottle, man. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> look, look, I, you know, I played some D-U-M-E. I want to play some yep. more, and then I want to talk about that. But this is beautiful origin story. I love it <laughs> for for the eyesores.
Take all the time you need. Take all the time you need. Welcome your enemies. So take all the time you need. You're buried underneath all the rivers, rocks, and trees. I'm water when you need sunshine, sunshine. Take all the time you need to color and believe. Da 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 da. And I'm drifting off to sleep. Some Uber shifts this week. I'm here and listening from moons away. Hey, you're still. 
Black for Pedro show. That chunk of music is bookended by the D-U-M-E. Started with the black head. D-U-M-E. Special interest with disco after that. That's brand new. The Mistons, a, a new band out of Portland, Oregon. It's got uh, Sean from the in, uh, Cracker Bash along with Micah. And, uh, yeah, big things. Uh, high water style. We used to call those, yeah, kind of pants. that <laughs> Showing the fucking half the calf, right? Okay. John Brewster, after that, take all the time you need. Uh, Patience. First world problem. This stuff out of Charleston, too. You know what? That Joshua M. Robbins was at Charleston. That's Portland, Maine. Fuck what? (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Blue... You know, I was telling Alec off air, you know, uh, next month, May, it'll be 20 years of Watford Pedro show, and I'm still fucking blowing clans. Okay. No excuse. Cat call after that with from D-U-M-E. Uh, enlighten us to D-U-M-E, Alec. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enlighten us. Hello? Oh, sorry. What's what's happening? <laughs> I'm asking you lightness in regards to D-U-M-E. Did I write? Sorry, I didn't hear the first half of the question. In lightness. Oh, in likeness. No. E-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N. Enlighten us. Yes. Oh, enlighten us. Okay, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm having a, a funny moment yeah, here. I a talk like a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all, all I good. I can man. also destroy the English language. Oh, hey, you know that—that's a—that's a fine art. <laughs> the destruction of the English language. <laughs> anyway, enlightenment to D-U-M-E. Well, all right. So D-U-M-E was, uh, you know, like as I was going along in the eyesores, uh, I was adding more and more pedals to the accordion. Like started with a rap pedal, and then a, you know I threw a wah in there and a big muff and. And it was great, you know, working with the accord. Suddenly I kick on a pedal and it just sounded like a crazy feeding back guitar, you know. And uh, but I kind of wanted I wanted to mess with the sound. I wanted to really get inside of of the sound. Um, So it seemed like synthesizers were the next state, like analog synthesizers. I was always kind of fascinated with uh, analog synthesizers. There was a local music store when I was a teenager that had an ARP axe and I would go in there and just annoy the hell out of them fucking around with it. I wish I bought it. It was so dumb that I didn't buy it. Uh, But you know how it is. Um, But um, so, you know, getting into synths, I I ended up getting uh, getting like an old Moog synth that I was messing with. And I recorded a bunch at home with that. And uh, then I discovered this sort of uh, thing that was happening uh, called Eurorack Modular Synthesis, which is – a new format of modular synthesizers and, you know, modular synths, this, you know, like where the kind of those, uh, the synths that were just made up of parts. And the, the cool thing about Eurorack is you can mix Mac. It, it's all like a whole, it's a, uh, just a format like power supply and a rack size. And then there's just modules from like all these different companies. Uh, and some of them are clones of old stuff. And some of them are these crazy new digital like just like really like crazy computer music things just jammed into a little like you know arduino thing and uh you mix and match it's the ultimate postmodern instrument so uh right around when trump got elected i was getting kind of depressed about politics in the world so i i just said i i can't just spend all my time like freaking out over this and like you know just being a 
doom scrolling news junkie. I mean, I, I still was, but I, uh, I wanted something to occupy my brain. So I dug really into this mod- modular synthesis stuff and started buying gear and, uh, just recording and recording and recording at home. And, uh, Eventually, it, I ended up playing some gigs, and uh, that's when I came up with the name Doom, uh, which stands for is uh, it stands for death on death or destruction unto my enemies, and it's a it's a it's like a hoodoo curse uh, from the hoodoo. It's a curse from the hoodoo and conjure tradition down in, uh, <clears throat> which is sort of like a a magic tradition that uh, uh, is informed by like. Uh, you know, like voodoo a little bit. And uh, it, it's sort of an eclectic magic tradition, folk magic tradition. But uh, the just the, that sort of, I saw that on, a, on one of those little candles, those votive candles, just the word doom with a skull and crossbones on it. It's like, oh, that's so, that's so fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh, that just name popped into my head for the project. So, uh, but it's been interesting because I'm working I'm working with sequencers. I'm working with these things that it's not as hands-on. It's not as uh, chops oriented. It's more about, it's a, it's a completely different way of thinking about music. Well, and, uh, also, you know, also it's, it's fucking man alone, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It is. I mean, I've done a little bit of collaboration with people and have, I, there's a, a group called snow beasts who are doing a, a remix record with me right now. They're, they're taking some of my stuff and chopping and screwing it. And it sounds really good so far, but they're taking uh, stuff that you did alone. Look, we got yep. we got to uh, move on because it's oh, into the second hour, April 28, 2021 edition. Peter's our special guest, Alec K. Redford. Hold tight for hour three. April 28, 2021, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
Watch for Pedro Show. Start the third hour off. Alec K. Redfern and the Eyesores and Black Guys. Then uh, Manuel Armida, Jiffy Cabs. He's on a couple episodes ago, or editions, right? That's what we call it. Tim Holhouse, Wagon Instrumental after that. And then Alec K. Redfern and the Eyesores with Pterodactyl. Cutiform. Yes. Great, great label. Amazing label. Yeah, what's your connect? How, how'd that happen? Uh, he's in D.C., right? Yeah, he's down in Silver Spring in D.C. Uh, Silver Spring, D.C., same yeah. thing. Uh, Steve Feigenbaum, man. I I first became acquainted with him when I saw Cuneiform Showcase at ASG20 uh, in like uh, the early 90s. And it was, um, Cuneiform, that's how you say it. I fucked up. Oh, I don't know. I, I, mean, destroy, I, I, I destroy label names, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in uh, I think the first showcase I saw was like Dr. Nerve and um, a few other like kind of those early cuneiform bands. And uh, our, uh, you know, when I was in Space Heater, we had a percussionist who was tight with Steve because they went to Brown together. Uh, so that's how I became aware of him. And I, I pitched him like the first Amoebic Ensemble record and he said it sounded under rehearsed and that we needed to work on it so far. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't came back to him like 10 years later with uh, The Quiet Room, that record, and uh, he was into it. And uh, Steve has been very supportive and a wonderful man. He's just a he's just a, a he's just a, an amazing dude with great taste. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I asked him uh, for some because he put out the fucking Henry Kaiser got me to do this, this John Coltrane stuff, which I was petrified to do. You know, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. But and, and so that's my connect. But then you know, I told he goes, well, what would be right? And look, I said, Steve, I'm into music, man. <laughs> music is music. I don't get whatever you know floats the boat. And so he, his recommend was you, his first one. Well, he knew I was, he knew I was a fan. We talked about, uh, you know, we talked about, he knows about my, he's heard my story so many times. Steve once bailed me out of a, a, a situation in Belgium uh, the, where I like, I somehow like, I got a hotel, you know, I did the thing where you go to Europe and you get a hotel and be, like wait a night before doing this, jumping right into shows just to get over the jet lag. And I was a solo tour. I thought I had done everything right. And, uh, there was just some bill I forgot about that just wiped out my bank account and I hadn't paid yet. So I'm in this hotel trying to figure out how the hell I'm going <laughs> to, you know, I can't, there's no way to sneak out. Uh, so, and uh, nobody could figure out how to wire me any money. And Steve ended up just, just, just paying the bill. And it was, uh, he oh, saved my ass. That's yeah, really beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and with that, I want to play carnivore. Oh Yeah.
桃太郎昔々あるところにおじいさんとおばあさんがいました毎日おじいさんは山へしばかりにおばあさんは川へ洗濯に行きましたある日おばあさんが川のそばで洗濯をしていますと川上から大きな桃が一つ。どんぶらこっこすっこっこ。どんぶらこっこすっこっこ。と流れてきました。おやおや、これは見事な桃だこと。おじいさんへのお土産に、うちへ持って帰りましょう。おばあさんはそう言いながら、腰をかがめて桃を取ろうとしましたが、遠くって手が届きません。おばあさんはそこで、あっちの水は辛いぞ。こっちの水は甘いぞ。辛い水は避けてこい。甘い水に寄ってこい。と歌いながら手を叩きました。すると桃はまた、どんぶらこっこすっこっこ、どんぶらこっこすっこっこ、と言いながらおばあさんの前へ流れてきました。おばあさんはニコニコしながら、おじいさんと二人で分けて食べましょう。と言って、桃を拾い上げて、洗濯物と一緒にたらいの中に入れて、えっちらおっちら抱えてお家へ帰りました。夕方になって、おじいさんは山から芝を背負って帰ってきました。おばあさん、今帰ったよ。おやおじいさん、お帰りなさい。待っていましたよ。さあ、早くお上がんなさい。いいものをあげますから。それはありがたいな。なんだね、そのいいものというのは。こう言いながら、おじいさんは、わらじを脱いで、上に上がりました。その間におばあさんは戸棚の中からさっきの桃を抱えてきて、ほらごらんなさいこの桃をと言いました。ほほう、これはこれは、どこからこんな見事な桃を買ってきたのかね。いいえ、買ってきたのではありません。今日川で拾ってきたのですよ。何川で拾ってきた。それはいよいよ珍しい。こうおじいさんは言いながら、桃を両手に乗せて、溜めつ、すがめつ、眺めていますと、出し抜けに桃はポンと中から二つに割れて、おぎゃー、おぎゃーと勇ましい産声を上げながら、可愛らしい赤ちゃんが
元気よく飛び出しました。おやおやまあ。おじいさんもおばあさんもびっくりして、二人一緒に声を立てました。まあまあ、私たちがいつもどうかして子供が一人欲しい欲しいと言っていたものだから、きっと神様がこの子を授けてくださったに違いない。おじいさんもおばあさんも嬉しがってこう言いました。そこで慌てておじいさんがお湯を沸かすやら、おばあさんが産着を揃えるやら、大騒ぎをして赤ちゃんを抱き上げて、産湯を使わせました。するといきなり、うん、と言いながら赤ちゃんは抱いているおばあさんの手を跳ねのけました。おやおや、なんという元気のいい子だろう。おじいさんとおばあさんはこう言って顔を見合わせながら、あーはあーはと面白そうに笑いました。そして、桃の中から生まれた子だというので、この子に桃太郎という名を付けました。おじいさんとおばあさんは、それはそれは大事にして桃太郎を育てました。桃太郎はだんだん成長するにつれて、当たり前の子供と比べてずっと体も大きいし、力がバカに強くって、相撲を取っても近所の村中で叶うものは一人もいないくらいでしたが、そのくせ気立ては優しくって、おじいさんとおばあさんによくこうこうしました。桃太郎は十五になりました。もうその自分には日本の国中で、桃太郎ほど強いものはいませんでした。桃太郎はどこか外国へ出かけて力試しをしてみたくなりました。するとその頃、方々外国の島々を巡って帰ってきた人があって、いろいろ珍しい不思議なお話をした末に、もう何年も何年も船を漕いでいくと、遠い遠い海の果てに鬼ヶ島というところがある。悪い鬼どもがいかめしい黒金のお城の中に住んで、方々の国からかすめ取った尊い宝物を守っていると言いました。桃太郎はこの話を聞くと、その鬼ヶ島へ行ってみたくって、もういても立ってもいられなくなりました。そこで家へ帰ると早速おじいさんの前へ出て、どうぞ私にしばらくお暇をください、と言いました。おじいさんはびっくりして、お前どこへ行くのだ、と聞きました。鬼ヶ島へ鬼退治に行こうと思います
と桃太郎は答えました。ほう、それは勇ましいことだ。じゃあ行っておいで、とおじいさんは言いました。まあ、そんな遠くへ行くのでは、さぞお腹がお好きだろう。よしよし、お弁当をこしらえてあげましょう。とおばあさんも言いました。そこでおじいさんとおばあさんはお庭の真ん中にえんやらえんやら大きな臼を持ち出しておじいさんが杵を取るとおばあさんはこねどりをしてペンタラコッコペンタラコッコペンタラコッコペンタラコッコとお弁当のきびだんごをつきはじめましたきびだんごがうまそうにできあがると桃太郎のしたくもすっかりできあがりました桃太郎はお侍の着るようなじんばおりを着て刀を腰にさしてきびだんごの袋をぶら下げましたそして桃の絵の描いてある扇を手に持って、ではお父さん、お母さん、行ってまいります、と言って、丁寧に頭を下げました。じゃあ立派に鬼を退治してくるがいい、とおじいさんは言いました。気をつけて、怪我をしないようにおしよ、とおばあさんも言いました。何大丈夫です。日本一のきびだんごを持っているから。と桃太郎は言って、ではごきげんよう。と元気な声を残して出て行きました。おじいさんとおばあさんは門の外に立って、いつまでもいつまでも見送っていました。桃太郎はずんずん行きますと大きな山の上に来ましたすると草むらの中からワンワンと声をかけながら犬が一匹かけてきました桃太郎が振り返ると犬は丁寧にお辞儀をして桃太郎さん桃太郎さんどちらへおいでになります。と尋ねました。鬼ヶ島へ鬼退治に行くのだ。お腰に下げたものは何でございます。日本一のきびだんごさ。一つ私にくださいな。おともしましょう。よしよし、やるからついてこい。犬はきびだんごを一つもらって、桃太郎の後からついていきました。山を降りてしばらく行くと、今度は森の中に入りました。すると木の上から、キャッキャッと叫びながら、猿が一匹駆け降りてきました。桃太郎が振り返ると猿は丁寧にお辞儀をして「桃太郎さん
桃太郎さん、どちらへおいでになります。と尋ねました。鬼ヶ島へ鬼退治に行くのだ。お腰に下げたものは何でございます。日本一のきびだんごさ。一つ私にくださいな。おともしましょう。よしよし、やるからついてこい。猿もきびだんごを一つもらって、あとからついてゆきました。山を降りて、森を抜けて、今度は広い野原へ出ました。すると、空の上で、けんけんと鳴く声がして、キジが一羽飛んできました。桃太郎が振り返ると、キジは丁寧にお辞儀をして、桃太郎さん、桃太郎さん、どちらへおいでになります、と尋ねました。鬼ヶ島へ鬼退治に行くのだ。お腰に下げたものは何でございます日本一のきびだんごさ。一つ私にくださいな。おともしましょう。よしよし、やるからついてこい。きじもきびだんごを一つもらって、桃太郎の後からついていきました。犬と猿ときじと、いい家来ができたので、桃太郎はいよいよ勇み立って、またずんずん進んでいきますと、やがて広い海端に出ました。そこにはちょうどいい具合に、船が一層つないでありました。桃太郎と三人の家来は、早速この船に乗り込みました。私は小ぎ手になりましょう。こう言って犬は船をこぎ出しました。私はかじ取りになりましょう。こう言って猿がかじに座りました。私は物見を務めましょう。こう言ってキジがへさきに立ちました。うららかないいお天気で真っ青な海の上には波一つ立ちませんでした。稲妻のように矢のように目の回るような速さで船は走って行きました。ほんの一時間も走ったと思う頃、へさきに立って向こうを眺めていた記事があれあれ島がと叫びながらパタパタと高い葉を通させて空に飛び上がったかと思うとスーッとまっすぐに風を切って飛んでいきました。桃太郎もすぐ肘の飛び立った後から向こうを見ますとなるほど遠い遠い海の果てにぼんやり雲のような薄黒いものが見えました。船の進むに従って雲のように見えていたものが
だんだんはっきりと島の形になって現れてきました。ああ、見える見える、鬼ヶ島が見える。桃太郎がこう言うと、犬も猿も声を揃えて、万歳、万歳と叫びました。みるみる鬼ヶ島が近くなって、もう固い岩でできた鬼のお城が見えました。いかめしい黒金の門の前に見張りをしている鬼の兵隊の姿も見えました。そのお城の一番高い屋根の上に木地が止まってこちらを見ていました。こうして何年も何年も恋で行かなければならないという鬼ヶ島へ、ほんの目をつぶってる間に来たのです。桃太郎は犬と猿を従えて船からひらりと丘の上におりました。見張りをしていた鬼の兵隊はその見慣れない姿を見ると、びっくりして慌てて門の中に逃げ込んで黒金の門を固く閉めてしまいましたその時犬は門の前に立って「日本の桃太郎さんがお前たちを退治においでになったのだぞ開けろ開けろ」と怒鳴りながらどんどん扉を叩きました鬼はその声を聞くと震え上がって余計一生懸命に中から押さえていました。すると木地が屋根の上から飛び降りてきて門を押さえている鬼どもの目をつつき回りましたから鬼は平行して逃げ出しました。その間に猿がスルスルと高い岩壁をよじ登っていった。造作なく門を中から開けました。わあ、と声を上げて、桃太郎の家来たちが勇ましくお城の中へ攻め込んでいきますと、鬼の大将も大勢の家来を引き連れて、一人一人太い鉄の棒を振り回しながら、おうおうと叫んで向かってきました。けれども、体が大きいばっかりで、育児のない鬼どもは、散々生地に目をつつかれた上に、今度は犬に向こうずねを食いつかれたと言っては、痛い痛いと逃げ回り、猿に顔を引っかかれたと言っては、ほいおい泣き出して、鉄の棒を放り出して、降参してしまいました。おしまいまで我慢して戦っていた鬼の大将もとうとう桃太郎に組み伏せられてしまいました。桃太郎は大きな鬼の背中に馬乗りにまたがって、どうだ、これでも降参しないか、と言ってぎゅうぎゅう押さえつけました。鬼の大将は桃太郎のバカ力で首を絞められて、もう苦しくってたまりませんから
大粒の涙をボロボロこぼしながら、降参します、降参します。命だけはお助けください。その代わりに宝物を残らず差し上げます。こう言って許してもらいました。鬼の大将は約束通り、お城から隠れ蓑に隠れ傘、内での小槌に如意宝珠、その他サンゴだのルリだの世界で一番尊い宝物を山のように車に積んで出しました。桃太郎はたくさんの宝物を残らず積んで三人の家来と一緒にまた船に乗りました。帰りは行きよりもまた一層船の走るのが早くって、間もなく日本の国に着きました。船が丘に着きますと、宝物をいっぱい積んだ車を犬が先に立って引き出しました。キジが綱を引いて猿が後を押しました。えんやらさ、えんやらさ。三人は重そうに掛け声を掛けかけ進んでいきました。うちではおじいさんとおばあさんが変わる変わる、もう桃太郎が帰りそうなものだが、と言い、首を伸ばして待っていました。そこへ桃太郎が三人の立派な家来に、ぶんどった宝物を引かせて得意げに帰ってきましたのでおじいさんもおばあさんも目も鼻もなくして喜びました偉いぞ偉いぞそれこそ日本一だとおじいさんは言いましたまあまあ怪我がなくって何よりさとおばあさんは言いました桃太郎はその時犬と猿とキジの方を向いてこう言いました。鬼退治は面白かったな。犬はワンワンと嬉しそうに吠えながら前足で立ちました。猿はキャッキャと笑いながら白い歯をむき出しました。キジはケンケンと泣きながらくるくると宙返りをしました空は青々と晴れ上がって庭には桜の花が咲き乱れていました
Last music for this edition. We heard Alec K. Redfern and the Eyesores doing Carnivore. Then Few, Fusan, huh? Out of Japan doing Momo Taro. The pe- Momos are peaches, right? Peach Boy Taro is a boy's name there. and It's a classic story, and uh, I just thought it was great going with your music. Because uh, yeah. we end up the the show last tune is the sh- the fire shuffle from oh, Alan K. Redford and I. Where did eyesores come from, by the way? I, I, it's not that important, but oh, uh, it, there was a there was a you know the the, the end of the nineties in Providence. There was a lot of like Providence is a weird old city. You've been here, you know what it's like. Yeah. It's kind of a small. There was a lot of new architecture. It was a mall that went up downtown. A lot of weird new architecture. Uh, this was gen- ugly gentrif- as well. Gentrification, when all the streets downtown went one way. Yep, exactly. And uh, so I, that was what the title, The Eyesores, was sort of referring to, is the sort of ruins of, or the sort of like ruins to be that started happening. Remember there was that, that, that uh, kind of child yeah. pad uh, cafe, but it was in a trailer. Is it still down there? Oh, yeah, the Haven Brothers. That's still, yeah. that's still out there, man. That place is great. They're like, they saved that, right? They gentrified everything around it, but the, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the holdouts, man. Right, right. I one mean, of but, the Buddy Cianci's gone. So, like, they, All right. Know. You got to know about this guy, uh, listeners. He was the mayor, and I know the guy who ran his boat, Joe, Joe Di Pasquale. In fact, he was a councilman in Warren nearby. Okay. And uh, the, the stories he told me about. Yeah, in fact, uh, the, one of the uh, he was uh, docking the boat and the rope cut his fucking finger off. He's got a finger. Hey, Mister White, look. <laughs> oh my God. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet, there, Alec? Oh, okay. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, Cuneiform. Uh, uh, let's see. I don't have. I, I have a Facebook page and an Insta, uh, which is. Uh, I have a Facebook pages. I have Instagram. You know, under Alec K. Redfern on Instagram. Uh, there is a Doom Facebook page. Uh, yeah, but those are big a, fucking companies. There's nothing that you run yourself. I I I I have a website that I I that ended up going down, and we're, we've been my my girlfriend and I've been trying to to rebuild it. Uh, All right. Just do, do you know the URL? Yeah, that is allocatedredfern.com, but it's there's nothing up there right yeah, now. Yeah, right. That's, but in the future there will be because that's like having your own be. your own fanzine. There's no middleman. There's no Although I, I'm not afraid of Steve uh, at Uniform, <laughs> but those 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 big companies, yeah, I'm kind of scared about that. But you know, it's a telephone pole for you to put your flyers up on. Why not? Fuck it. That's true, man. Yeah, and I think and, I probably and, will. And I still next... hold the domain, so might as well, uh, you know. And what's your, well what, what's your uh, next plan? What's the next project? Is it more Doom because that's the new thing, or, or because you, uh, the the eyesores are uh, it's an ongoing concern, right? The eyesore is yeah. The eyesore is uh, it, it's been dormant because of COVID. We haven't been rehearsing yeah, too of much. Of course, of course. Um, besides that, the situation, it's still an ongoing concern. It is, and and it's going to change the whole paradigm. We have to think of new ways to be, uh, you know, to be to play out to tour. Like all that's going to change, and uh, it's a time for innovation. That's the way I see it. It's an opportunity for innovation. Uh, but, but but is there a parallel? Are you, are you doing two music? Uh... Parallel universes, a, a D-U-M-E, Doom one, and a Eyesore one? Yeah, so far they've been kind of mutually exclusive, but uh, there may be some crossover. I was thinking about doing an Eyesore sort of synth record, uh, you know, like or at least or like something that's more sort of like, uh, you know, like Cold Wavish or something, or 
uh, or more experimental. I'm not sure yet. Man, I got to start jamming again. I think that's yeah. That's yeah gonna... Well, let me ask you this: process. Now, I, I know about Doom. That's Man Alone. So that's you. You know, the process you make demos for yourself or whatever. But when when what is the process with the, with human beings? You know, the the eyesores. Do you make demos or do you do it like you just said, jam, and then you record it... things and then later uh, go back on them and try to put them together into tunes? It's a little bit of both, you know, because uh, Matt and I do a lot, have wrote a lot of stuff, uh, you know, just jam, just working it out in his basement. Um, but then uh, for the for the opposite, the last record, um, a good deal of the songs are based around like demos I made with this really primitive drum machine, uh, just a drum that, that had like like literally two rhythms on it. I just added a delay pedal to get a little more variation and just, you know, to work within limitations, you know, because limitations are sometimes make for really interesting stuff absolutely and i've been listening to like stuff like suicide's first record great, and great listening album. great album so good frankie, so good frankie, and, frankie teardrop is the scariest fucking song in the world it really is man it's terrifying it's like legitimately terrifying it's one of those moments in rock and roll that uh wow. has just never really been touched it's just really its own fucking weird dark universe yeah Ooh, frankie <laughs> Ooh. I got to meet them. They opened up for the Stooges when the Stooges did, uh, two, I don't know, Raw Power at the Odeon. And they were the opening oh, yeah. band. And I got to talk to Alan Vega, and a very kind man. He told me he was an artist. And just seeing Ig, seeing Stooges and Max's, mm-hmm. I want to be in a band. Yeah. You know, just like you and your buddies, man. That This is the power of the movement. It's not a, a genre sound. It's a state of mind. That's what I believe, anyway. Oh, I think I think you're right. I think the whole genre thing is just a marketing thing, and especially this crazy new micro genre thing that's happened in the last <laughs> ten years or so. We don't need it. I'm really, really interested in what you're going to do next. When you get the next Doom record and next Eyesore record, will you come back on the show? And we can talk. Absolutely. About it? Oh, and, and quickly before we go, uh, there is a Doom record that's dropping today, a new cassette that's coming out uh, called Forever 93. And uh, if you want to check that out, it's at doom dot, uh, uh, doom.bandcamp.com, I believe is the address. And uh, yeah, with the digital versions up, People, we're going to have that the cassette. Doom, I got to tell you, that Doom ain't D-O-O-M. It's D-U-M-E. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, what do they call them? Homonyms, right? The nose nose. <laughs> I see the sea. (laughs) Thanks so much for being on the show. Truly a big honor. Can't wait for the next music. People, been the April 28, 2021 edition. Why Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.